One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. It's my screen time too. Hello, and welcome to It's My Screen Time 2, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming. From Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters, we watch, you listen, find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Katie. And I'm Deborah. And I have two kids, Jay, he's six, and Kenny, he's two. And I have three kids. Tony is 11 and Libby and Nate are eight. And they are so adorable, right? Usually, yes. (laughs) We love to tell a quick story about how awesome or sometimes awful our kids are because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers, we're moms too. This one is related to screen time and my kids being adorable and me being cool they watched a movie called dog on trouble on netflix Uh and they really liked it and they were talking about it the next day and i had like paid no attention to this movie at all and then all of a sudden they said mom are you familiar with a famous rapper named snoop dog And I was like, yes, yes, I am familiar with Snoop Dogg, the famous rapper. And I guess he has a part in this movie and then he raps at the end. And I didn't know that they had never been exposed to Snoop Dogg or if they were exposed, they didn't know who he was. So now, I mean, it was like asking someone like our dad's ages, like, have you heard of Bob Dylan? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. See, because Snoop Dogg has done, uh, maybe he's like trying to sneak himself into our children's consciousness, which good move, Snoop. Um, he has done a small part on an Ask the Storybots episode too, but the problem there is that they never explain who their guest cameos are. They're just there right. for the parents. Right. All right. Dog on Trouble? Yes. All I right. need to watch it in its entirety so I can really appreciate famous rapper Snoop Dogg. How about you? Have your kids done anything cute this week? Well, we just have a little triumph to report. And I'm sure the minute I articulate it out loud, it will uh, vanish as if it never was. Uh, But I think Kenny is finally getting the potty training thing, which makes me super happy and very proud. That's awesome. Big milestone in a kid's life. And also, oh my gosh, little boy underwear. Just the cutest. It is so so tiny. Yes. (laughs) But like looks so grown up at the same time. It's just really adorable, guys. (laughs) Does he want to have like Paw Patrol or character underwear? That was like a motivator for my kid. Yeah, I tried to do the whole like momentous trip to Target where he got to pick out his own underwear. But really, he didn't care. He's fairly happy to have Paw Patrol, but he'll also take Spider-Man or like whatever. Nice. Well, keep it up, Kenny. Woohoo! Before we move on, I wanted to just do a little bit of follow-up from our last episode. Guys, we took a week off. Thank you so much for your patience. It was just 
scheduling didn't work. There was a lot going on here. But we're back, baby. (laughs) In the interim, Kenny has discovered a super weird show on Netflix that, while I feel it is terrible, is also giving me a lot of feelings. (laughs) I'm sure you've not seen this show, Deborah, because your kids are a little older. But have you seen Rainbow Rangers? have not. All right, so the conceit is that there are seven little girls, all conveniently named after different colors of the rainbow, and they live I don't, in outer space, I guess, and whenever there is a small environmental emergency on Earth, like there's a little like rainbow bat signal that goes up to them, and three of them come down to Earth to solve the problem. And the environmental problems are pretty small beer. It's like, you know, the alligators' homes are being threatened by a developer, or the factory is dumping sludge into the river, or the polar bear, the baby polar bear was too close to the edge of its ice flow, and because the sun was so hot, the ice flow broke off and separated it from his mother. So, like, very small environmental lessons told in this extremely gendered way like it is very clear that this is a show for little girls Mm. it's seven little like cutesy looking characters plus their sidekick is a rainbow haired unicorn that shoots candy out of its horn so (laughs) so honestly it just made me long for the days of captain planet And I have not gone back to watch any Captain Planet as an adult. I'm sure like many of the 80s, early 90s cartoons, it would feel really bad now. But I definitely see the place for a kid's show with some quality environmental messaging and With that in mind, I will probably continue to let Kenny watch Rainbow Rangers because he seems weirdly obsessed with it, even though I know it's really bad. I'll have to check it out. This sounds intriguing. It's animated, right? Yeah. That's a dumb question. (laughs) (laughs) But I really could not think because once it became clear, because I I didn't know anything about it. Like, we just turned it on. I thought it was going to be some stupid princessy show, which... And on one level it is, but I started to try and think of like alternative shows that would give a similar message about the earth and the importance of doing your part to protect the earth. Um, and I couldn't think of any. Yeah. Captain Planet is a good one. Um, I wonder if that holds up. Yeah. I did do some idle Googling because it seems like if anything is due for a remake slash reboot, now would be the time And I guess since, like, the mid-2010s, Leonardo DiCaprio's production company has been working on, like, a live-action movie version. But reading about it, they kind of want to, like, Deadpool up Captain Planet to make him cool. And I just disagree, guys. Like, I think we really do need some extremely earnest content to feed our children about the importance of this message. I don't know. This is a topic we should explore because I just Googled and Common Sense Media has a bunch of environmental 
TV shows. That is a really good idea. Maybe we should set aside like a month and just look at a couple of those. There's one called Dirt Girl World. What? That sounds sounds awesome. (laughs) I know. That sounds way more tolerable than watching another episode with Floof the Rainbow-Haired Unicorn. Today for Screen Time in the News, we are joined by author and friend of the pod, Amy Padden, who is here to give us her expert advice on how to watch old movies with your kids. Amy, you've told me that your family watches older movies together, and the way you deal with problematic content is that you pause the movie and talk about it in the moment, which is a much better strategy than I have, because when I watched The Goonies with my kids, I just silently cringed through all of the racist and sexist scenes. So when you're watching older movies with your kids, do you plan your pauses ahead of time, or do you just pause in the moment when you see something off color. Yeah, so I have to apologize to my boys, peers, and future romantic interests because they're going to think it's really normal to pause and talk about things in the middle of movies, and I think it's going to mess them up for life, but (laughs) yeah. Um, My thought is it's stronger when we're watching it than to try and make them remember. I don't know, my boys don't always have the best recall abilities, Um, so if I feel uncomfortable with it, then we pause and talk. That's kind of my gauge and my thought is if they were to do the action or if they were to say the thing and it would either get them in trouble or I'd be embarrassed to claim them as my children we pause and talk about it so maybe we should back up for just a second because it's been approximately a million years since you last guested on the pod so could you remind our listeners how old your kids are Sure. Yep. So Ben is 15. So he'll be a sophomore in high school this year. And he's actually out. He got his permit yesterday and he's out driving with his dad right now. First time in the car. (laughs) So exciting. Um, And Nicholas is 12. So he'll be an eighth grader next year. So I've got older kids. So has this been your strategy from the beginning? Yes. My thought is if I feel uncomfortable about it and I don't say something, then I'm silently um, saying it's okay. And my thought is I don't want to ever give the wrong message to my kiddos. So So how do you know what to say? Do you plan ahead or do you just talk off the cuff about it? Um, Yep. So it's usually off the cuff. I don't, I mean, I'm a white lady, so I am not (laughs) an expert, um, but I used to teach at a Native American school and I've, um, I've tried to keep up and be current and be a good ally to people of color. And so I try really hard to know what the talking points are and what, what, what the messaging should be. And then I just look for red flags as I see them. Do you and, sh- do you and your husband see eye to eye on this or do, do you pause for different things? Or is he a non-pauser? Oh, he's a non-pauser. He's supportive. Um, but he's a non-pauser. We would just watch things. Um, but I usually know going into a movie or a show if it's going to be problematic. Like we just watched Disney's Atlantis property, which I had never actually seen. Um, and I knew going into it that it was very problematic with its, with its imaging, with its portrayal of Native American cultures or Native cultures in general. Um, as one person put it, how can the Atlanteans have been in Atlanta for a thousand years and not be able to read it? And Milo learned it in like a year, like the language, like they just kind of pointed out that the white guy shouldn't have figured something out that anyway. So when we came to that, we talked a little bit about 
like when she when Kia, the main character, introduced herself, she gave her Atlantean name. He goes, oh, that's too complicated. I can't possibly learn that. Um, I'm just going to call you Kia. I'm like, what, dude? You just learned a dead language and you can't learn her name? Like, that is not a good start to your romantic relationship. And that's actually kind of how we addressed it. I was just like, hey, dude, if you meet a girl and you can't pronounce her name, it's not going to go very far, this relationship. So we used humor in that one versus doing a straight on talking point about it. So kind of sidelined that one a little bit. That's a really good one. That's a great example. Yeah. So do your kids, because sometimes my kids will like bring up something they watched days later and just like in the car or something because their brains are always working. Like, do you have intentional family discussions about problematic content or just like the way things used to be portrayed in media and the way things are portrayed now? Do those happen organically or do you set aside time and plan to do it when you're not watching something? So we do have conversations because I am raising two white boys and I feel like there are some inherent privileges that um, they have been given because of their race and sex. And I don't want them to ever feel bad about being a white boy, but they also need to recognize that there are advantages and that as somebody who has advantages, they need to share the advantages and lift people up with them. And that's what we talk about. There's nothing wrong with being a white boy. But if you're not helping others around you and being aware of the sexism and things, then it's a problem. And I'll always remember in the 2016 election, both boys were flabbergasted why anybody was making a big deal about Hillary Clinton running as a woman. They're like, who cares? She's a girl. She's running. Who cares? I was like, yes, mm -hmm. good. You've, you've been ingrained that your sex shouldn't matter for your qualifications. But, um, you know, we just kind of talk about stuff. I, I once... I, went, I used to sub at ECFE, the early childhood, and one time I was subbing during the sex ed unit for like three-year-olds, which was an interesting thing to sub for. I really <laughs> wish they would have given me a heads up. And one of the things the teacher was talking about, because there's a speaker, and she said, you start talking about things before your kids are ready to hear them. Because if they're not ready to hear them, they just fly by, and it's not a big deal, but then it's not uncomfortable later when you have to talk about stuff. So we've been talking about race and sex, you know, racism and sexism and ageism. I mean, we've been talking about it for as long as I can remember so that when they're ready to get the message, they will get the message. And then it's not like a weird conversation that we've never had the groundwork to establish. Nice. I totally remembered that unit in one of my ECFE classes I took with my kids. <laughs> Sorry, you guys, ECFE stands for... Oh, sorry. Early childhood family education. And I believe it's unique in Minnesota, to Minnesota. Oh. And so it's like through the public school districts and families can, it's like a class, like for the kids and the parents together. And then they like gently separate the kids. And so then the parents get to like go have a coffee in this parent room and have like a therapy session together. And the kids get to play with like all the teachers assistance it's just such a great program that's so lovely and they talk um, about things that are uncomfortable that you would maybe be able to talk about just with like your parent group at the park you know they'll talk about like sharing and potty training and sex ed and all the things that are just nice to have groundwork for mm -hmm. yeah so do you feel like your policy with addressing these things during the movies affects the movie watching experience for your sons like do they are they still excited about watching the movies with you? I guess, is that a horrible thing to ask? 
No, no, you're. <laughs> yes, we still love fam. We do family movie every Friday, and we bought Disney Plus when it came out, and so we've been going through a lot of the old properties. And I always look at the warnings too, just kind of see what Disney's red flagging. And like I said, if I feel uncomfortable, I use that. I mean, it's kind of a gut thing. And I think as parents, we kind of know what's right or wrong. Like, you know what the, like the worst movie was we watched? And I, oh, Grease. Grease was terrible. Yeah. There is, <laughs> oh man, I, we had to pause so many times. I just, I wanted to give up on it. It was bad. It is not aged well. It is really not aged well. And don't get me wrong, the music's great. I love it. But some of the messaging just hasn't aged well in the last 40 years. I don't know. We just work a lot on no means no and empowering people and you know, just making sure everybody feels comfortable. Laura Ingalls Wilder made me sad because she doesn't have very good portrayals of Native Americans. And I love those. Pro- I love those stories. Mm-hmm. You know, it was from the time, but it's, it hasn't aged well. It's not appropriate. I wouldn't want to read that in a class if there was a Native student in there. And so I don't feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. So you've mentioned a couple of the movies and properties that you've watched with your kids, do you have any good ones to recommend from the Disney vault? From the Disney vault. um, I thought 101 Dalmatians has aged really well, but there's not a lot of messaging in there. If you're actually looking for properties that Disney has done that have aged well, honestly, I give them an A plus for effort, but most of their properties just haven't aged well. Even Mulan, which was probably one of my favorite movies in the nineties. There's a lot of drag jokes, like, and in today's where we need to be more accepting of all genders and sexualities. I'm not sure those jokes really fly. I mean, I I like Eddie Murphy, but those jokes don't really make it anymore. So, you know, the properties that don't deal with specific topics probably are the safest ones which is sad to say if you're looking for non-disney properties that are older that have probably aged well i love sesame street you really cannot go wrong with any of the sesame streets they tackle topics that are so hard and they do it so gracefully and so well i mean they've had diverse communities on their shows since the start and that's a big deal right right you know, it was just the way Sesame Street was. There were all different color people, all different color monsters, and that's just the way it was. So I really, I would push like Sesame Street probably more than Disney. I will not waste an opportunity to remind people that Follow That Bird is available on HBO Max right now. (laughs) (laughs) I did have one other question and feel free if you don't have a recommendation, because again, we didn't (laughs) give you a heads up about any of this, but we talked quite a bit on the show about learning to be okay with letting some of our childhood favorites go. And I was wondering if in doing this with your kids, you feel like you've seen any straight swaps. Like if there's anything from your childhood that you loved for specific reasons, and you feel like you're ready to just full on replace it with a newer property that kind of gives you similar vibes, but does not have the same issues. So you're probably looking for TV and movies. And my first recommendation would actually be the Laura Ingler Wilder properties, the stories. Louise Erdrich has written a series of children's books. Um, the first one's called The Birch Bark House, which is about um, a Ojibwe girl who lives in, I think, northern Wisconsin. And it's it like parallels the Laura Ingler Wilder story time. And so I would totally recommend that as a really good swap. As far as movies and shows go, you know, I was a huge fan of like, I grew up watching She-Ra and I think the reboot has done a really good job fixing some of the 
more sexist, pink, pinky, we're girls. Um, I would say problems, but messaging that maybe hasn't aged as well as it could. So a lot of the reboots have done a good job. I was a huge fan of She-Ra, so that would be my... Otherwise, I, I feel like it's okay. Like, I love Peter Pan. I really do. And it's not a very good portrayal of Native Americans. I like Lady and the Tramp. The first song my son learned how to play on the clarinet is We Are Siamese. From Lady oh, the- no. Like, oh, you're killing me. <laughs> you are killing me. So every time you would play it, we'd, ha- we'd be like, yep, it's a great song, but the lyrics aren't very good. And, you know, they're kind of inappropriate <laughs> and racist. I probably prefaced that like half a dozen times until I was like pretty sure he probably said it to himself before he played it. So um, I do give Disney credit. They have done a good job with the reboots on being more open. I, I don't want to spoiler if you guys, we wa- we've been watching Loki and Loki's like the first Marvel openly bisexual character. And I was like, yes. And I cheered when we watched in the bush. Like what's up? I'm like, he's bisexual. This is so awesome. <laughs> we just try and cheer when we see the successes so that that maybe seems normal. That uh, Louise Erdrich series immediately popped into my mind when I heard Katie's question too. That's a really good one. You know, uh, growing up in Wisconsin, they had us read Little House in the Big Woods in school because it's Wisconsin set, obviously. And I would love to know what sort of penetration um, the Louise Erdrich is having as an alternative. Probably not that much in Wisconsin because she's a Minnesota author. I'm oh. not. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I'm. I'm assuming, but I don't know. This the the teacher chats I hear. I don't hear too much, but that doesn't mean it's not there. Um, I usually listen to more of the middle school and secondary stuff. So, well, thank you so much, Amy. Um, can you tell our listeners where they can find and follow you? Follow you on social media. Yeah. So you can find me at author at Al Patton on Twitter. Or you can go to my Facebook page, which is also alpadden.com on Facebook. Mostly I'm in those two spots. I don't post a lot, so it's pretty quiet. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was really interesting, and I am super excited to now have this conversation about today's topic with you. Because <laughs> I have a feeling I didn't really grasp her technique all that effectively yet. So we really wanted to watch an older movie that we remembered from our childhood that we thought stood a decent chance of being super problematic today. So we went with, drumroll please, Mel Brooks' classic 1987 Star Wars parody, Spaceballs. Guys, PG ratings were way different back in the 80s. There's quite a bit of cursing, a lot of S-words, at least one F-bomb that I heard, and a ton of sexual innuendo. So that's one thing to know going into it. Uh, It is currently streaming on Showtime, which is where I watched it, but you can also rent it on Amazon and your other streaming rental services. And if you have cable, I just taped it old school. Ooh. Yeah. So I got to fast forward through commercials. Oh, so cute. (laughs) So Spaceballs was written and directed by Mel Brooks. And it was kind of a fallow period for him between his 70s hits like Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein, Silent Movie, High Anxiety, stuff like that. And the 90s movies that I remember from my childhood, like Robin Hood Men in Tights and the like. Brief summary of the plot, not that it even matters. 
So we have Lone Star and his half-man, half-dog sidekick, Barf. And they are hired by the king of planet Druidia to rescue his runaway daughter, Princess Vespa, who gets caught up in a scheme by the evil Dark Helmet and President Scroob of planet Spaceball to steal Druidia's oxygen supply. The plot barely matters. It's just a delivery device for a ton of Star Wars digs and some truly fantastic physical comedy. So why did we pick it? Uh, I already mentioned that we wanted to watch something that we thought might be, might have aged poorly. But Deborah also mentioned to me that Jeremy really wanted to watch it with the kids. Were you excited when he first mentioned it to you? I put it off. So this was a really good opportunity to combine Spaceballs with our interview with Amy and kind of test out her approach. So when did you first see Spaceballs? I was so young that I don't remember. I feel 100% certain that I was what most people would consider to be too young, but I definitely did not see it in the theater. So I was at least over five so I probably saw it on VHS home video, but I have no con under 10 for sure. How about you? Yeah, I was like seven when it came out, so I wouldn't have seen it in the theater. And I feel like I probably watched clips here and there when it was like on cable. I don't think I ever until this week have watched the whole movie in its entirety. Wow, I'm so excited to get your take on it. <laughs> My parents growing up were not Star Wars people at all. Like, I'm sure they were tangentially aware of Star Wars, but it just was not a thing in our house. And I don't know how this happened, like why they chose to like rent or purchase Spaceballs. But I definitely <laughs> saw and was very familiar with the plot of Spaceballs before I had even seen Star Wars. I didn't even know what it was they were making fun of the entire movie. It didn't even occur to me that it wasn't its own, its own thing because I was so young. Oh, that's really funny. That's a funny backward way to watch Spaceballs and Star Wars. So were your parents Mel Brooks fans? No, I, it was probably one of those things, maybe that like one of my older sisters just picked it up at the video rental place and was like, hey, mom and dad, I want to watch this. They were 80s parents, so I'm sure they looked at the back of the box and were like, hey, PG, cool. OK, mm -hmm. <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, I have seen very few Mel Brooks movies. I need to like go back because this was funny. I need to watch some of his uh, big hits. I'm a huge fan of Blazing Saddles. And I think a lot of people you asked, like, where should I start with Mel Brooks? That is what they would recommend because it really stands out as like such an interesting cultural artifact. I actually just read a Rolling Stone piece about how Mel Brooks is now touring with Blazing Saddles. So they'll play the movie and then he'll do like a Q&A afterwards. So it really speaks to like the enduring popularity and I guess importance of this movie. So that would be my pick. Now that you've seen Spaceballs all the way through, Blazing Saddles is a great follow-up. Okay, good recommendation. So back to Spaceballs. What did we think about the concept and the plot? Did we like it? Does it hold up? 
do we need Star Wars parodies? I was so pleasantly surprised because I was really like nervous after our conversation with Amy Mm -hmm. that I would be ashamed to have loved this movie as much (laughs) as I did as a very young child. But I thought it held up great. What did you think? I have been reflecting on the premise of the movie for days because in the beginning when the galaxy far, far away words are scrolling on the screen, the whole premise is the people who live on space falls squandered their precious atmosphere. And it is so like before it's time prescient in the way that 1984 by George Orwell is (laughs) like, how did Mel Brooks foresee the climate crisis playing out in the way in which it is now? Yeah, I mean, I guess much like classic science fiction and fantasy takes the actual preoccupations of modern society and presents it in a fantastical way or a futuristic way, comedy can also reflect things back to us in that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I was not expecting that. I, like you, was prepared to be pretty embarrassed, but... Some things are like some things were cringy, but some things were fine. There were like some questionable moments, like there's this Druish princess joke that's kind of a theme throughout that I don't like. And I was doing a little bit of reading on Mel Brooks. And again, in this Rolling Stone article, he was talking about how he came up doing comedy at like the Borscht Belt resorts in the Catskills. So I okay. feel like a lot of his comedy centers on being Jewish and he he puts a lot of that in there. So while it might feel cringy to us now, I feel like that's central to his identity. Yeah, that makes sense. There's a marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Is it a, like a whole season that takes place yes. at one of those resorts? Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know about those resorts until I watched that. But what about Dirty Dancing, right? I don't know. I haven't watched that since I was a kid, so I didn't really place it in a cultural context, I guess. (laughs) Actually, Um, speaking of, and this is a total tangent, but we're talking so much about how old classics are cringy by today's standards. I was just reading a whole tweet thread, and I'm sorry I can't cite who tweeted it because it was a while ago, about how actually revolutionary by today's standards Dirty Dancing is because it's all about reproductive rights yeah so that might be an interesting one to revisit from the flip side of this conversation like it's actually aged better right so were you bothered by any problematic sexual or racial stereotypes there's a lot of sexual harassment yeah I don't know is it wrong that I'm still able to write off a good chunk of that as being just of its time there were moments where I think it doesn't pass Amy's pause test. Like, I think you should pause and say, like, it's not okay to stick your dog's tail up a waitress's skirt. Like, that's not funny anymore. There was also a very weird scene where the, like, stormtroopers are quote-unquote combing the desert, and they're using, like, combs, and then there's two black stormtroopers, and they're using a pick, yeah. And that was, uh, 
off color slash offensive. I was honestly expecting more of that, though, than there was. I had been reminded of that moment when I was looking this up on Common Sense Media. So I was on the lookout for it as we were watching. And spoiler alert, I did watch this with my kids. And I thought about pausing to say something, but I don't even know if that is something they would actively understand anymore. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Like, this would take like 25 minutes to explain why it's not right so is it easier to overlook some of these references because it's just a silly parody comedy I was thinking about this again in the context of our conversation with Amy because we were talking so much about Disney classics that come Mm -hmm. from a very earnest place right so you feel like there's room to correct a lot of these things But when it's all presented in such a lighthearted way that you're supposed to be laughing and you're maybe supposed to be finding it absurd, I think that does go a long way towards um, softening the effects. Mm -hmm. What did you think? I think that there are, there's still room to critique and learn from the mistakes of Spaceballs. (laughs) (laughs) And particularly its treatment of women, which was like that in a lot of 80s movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Parody and non-parodies. So let's move on to things we did like. So this movie is super meta. The characters will bump into the camera or crew members and comment on the making of the movie while they're making it. My favorite instance of this is when they find the VHS of Spaceballs and put it in the VCR and fast forward to where they are in the film. I just, I love that scene so much. (laughs) It was great because then you see like that mirror effect where it just goes in and in and in the exact image of them moving. (laughs) Yeah. What did you think about the meta-ness of for as many times as I had seen this movie growing up I had totally forgotten about that aspect of it yeah and there's a lot of not maybe not a lot but at several points the fourth wall is broken by the characters which I tend to think of as like a more current invention Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) like uh I think of Michael Scott in the office as I mean, maybe that's the first time I was, like, aware of it. Mm -hmm. But certainly it happened in film way before. And I think the meta commentary also makes it easier to be another step removed from some of the less good behavior of the characters on screen. Because they Mm -hmm. are constantly reminding you that this is not reality. Right. I just need to, like, do a major shout out to some of these absolutely wonderful hilarious physical bits that I just could not get enough of Lone Star and Barf are in like the cockpit of their flying Winnebago which is their spaceship and every time Barf turns around he hits Lone Star in the head with his tail and it is something so small and so silly but yet it happens so often every time Every time. I was just cackling at it. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, Lone Star is, 
he is learning to use the force or the Schwartz in this movie, and he's levitating a giant statue. Then he drops it on Barf's foot. And then when they finally get him get it off his foot, it's just like a smushed version of his foot he's walking around on. <laughs> I'm laughing about it now. Like maybe I have like this huge unexplored space in my heart for slapstick comedy that just allowed me to overlook any other problems because <laughs> I was too busy laughing at these funny physical bits yeah I love Rick Moranis and the giant helmet and all <laughs> of the scrapes he gets into oh yeah. my gosh that pivotal fight scene where Dark Helmet is fighting with Lone Star and Lone Star literally does the thing where he holds out an arm against Rick Moranis's head and little Rick Moranis is just windmilling his little <laughs> arms. <laughs> I don't know why I love it so much, but I did. <laughs> What are your thoughts on the cast and the characters? Is there, Are there any actors in this that you particularly loved or hated? Well, you mentioned Rick Moranis, which is always such a joy to see him. And obviously John Candy. Like, I'm trying to think if this was my first real John Candy exposure, but I must have seen Uncle Buck before I saw Spaceballs. Uh, Uncle Buck was a big favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. And The Great Outdoors. Uh, Joan Rivers was the voice of one of the droids. Like, there are just so many great comedic actors in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the look of the movie? Were you bothered by the obvious 80s aesthetic? I wasn't just because I had so much residual fondness and nostalgia going into it, but this was the first time you saw it. So was it jarring to you to watch a movie that is so clearly from the 80s with fresh eyes? Something did bother me, and that is, in the 1980s, the standard of beauty is very narrow. And so there are these women who are, like, the pinnacle of hotness, and they have to be, like, thin, large-breasted, long blonde hair, very, like, Scandinavian-looking, long legs, skimpy clothes, And it's been a while since I've watched an 80s movie, and I found that very tiresome. Um, Like, it's like the Christy Brinkley character in National Lampoon's, the National Lampoon movies. Mm -hmm. That's right. It's been a while since we've encountered a movie that just does not have to factor any sort of diversity into its casting at all. Mm Mm-hmm. So I was, I didn't care for that, but like, I understand it's of its time, but the set and the costumes, delightful, (laughs) super delightful. I think one of the most brilliant parodies is in the very beginning when they do the shot of the ship moving through space and it just doesn't stop (laughs) the ship is so comically enormously long I think I thought I was laughing out loud from that very first scene did you use any of Amy's strategies while you were watching this 
So I watched it mostly by myself because I wanted to, I can't just pause something and talk about it intelligently like Amy can. And maybe I'll get to that point someday, but I wanted to watch it and kind of strategize like what I, cause I can't be pausing something like every five minutes or my kids will leave the room. Right. So I watched it by myself. Tony did sit in on some of it and he pointed out some of the funny things. So I'm really looking forward to watching it with my kids and with Jeremy. And I think I'm going to limit the pause, the pausing to just like a couple moments. And I'm just going to focus on the element of like sexual harassment, I think. Yeah. Because like there's swearing in it, but that's not a problem for my kids. Like we've talked about that at other times. Yeah. And I felt the same way because I did watch it with my kids and they're young enough that they already struggle from a plot perspective to like follow a whole feature length movie. Um, yeah. Unless it's very explicitly made for kids. So I was pretty confident that they weren't picking up on a lot of these problematic nuances. But I did love that there were a lot of these big physical set piece moments. Momentses? Mm, yep. Moments <laughs> that they could catch on to and they did think were very funny. So mm-hmm. while you, dear listeners, might think that my kids are way too young for space balls... I thought from just a slapstick, fun, fun to watch perspective, it worked out pretty well. And they weren't really paying attention otherwise. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Did, were you able to compare this to any adult movie or TV show? I struggled with this a little bit, but I think that um, Sasha Baron Cohen's films are like the most brilliant satire slash parody of our time is he like our Mel Brooks Ooh, I'm I think he might love to hear you say that (laughs) (laughs) how about you were you able to compare it to any adult show or movie well it made me think at first of all those very blatant parodies we had in the late 2000s throughout the 20 teens like the scary movie franchise Mm. uh Mm -hmm. I felt like that was those were kindred spirits even though I wasn't really a fan of those but Mm -hmm. my favorite modern parody movie is wet hot American summer and I feel like that had uh some similar DNA just in its outrageous portrayal of something that would otherwise feel so familiar This is a totally stupid question, but, like, what is that a parody of? 80s summer camp movies. Okay. I don't think I've ever seen that. It's really fun. I know what movie you're talking about. Oh, my watch list is growing so (laughs) long and unmanageable. Yeah, well, I definitely would not watch that one with the kids, so. No, no. Were you able to cast the gritty HBO reboot? I think I would watch... A Star Wars par- parody that had Zach Galifianakis and Tiffany Haddish in it as like Princess Leia, Han Solo. Is uh, it weird that I'm not really a Zach Galifianakis fan? I would have guessed that because I think he's hilarious <laughs> and a comedic genius. So it makes what? sense that you don't like him. All right. So if you were to recommend one Zach, Zach I can't even say his name, Zach Galifianakis property that you think 
is the example of what a comedic genius he is, what would you recommend? Well, Baskets, but I think you would hate that show. Every time I see an ad for it, I'm like, what even is this? No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, when I watched it, I must have had our podcast love John Cho on the brain because I was trying to shoehorn him in. And then I'm sorry, John Cho, but I had to go with another Asian American actor that I think would be a better Lone Star. And that is Randall Park. He's done some work in the Marvel Universe lately. Um, So he is really funny in the series WandaVision, kind of pinging against Kat Dennings, who is like kind of a deadpan actress. I liked that. Yeah, I liked that pairing. So I think they might make a good like Lone Star Princess Vespa pair. Would you ever watch this alone voluntarily? You did watch it mostly alone. I did. I am looking forward to watching it with my family. Um, One of my eight-year-olds, Nate, has like a super infectious giggle. And when he's watching something funny, like he'll just laugh and laugh and like get the whole family laughing and he won't be able to stop laughing. And so I think he is going to really get a kick out of it. Oh my gosh, there are so many moments. I can just predict when they jam the radar and they can get the jam off the screen with their fingers. Oh my gosh, he's going to love it. Yeah, I don't think this is a good movie to watch on your own because it's the type of movie that you'll like joke about with the people you watched it for days. Uh huh. How about you? Would you watch it alone voluntarily? I mean, I probably have the whole thing memorized somewhere in like the latent part of my brain. So I don't know that I would need to. I probably have in the past as a younger child. But um, Mm -hmm. parody is not a genre that I turn to on my own when I'm thinking about what I want to watch, even though I often like it as I'm watching it. But it was definitely fun to revisit. Mm -hmm. Should we go right on to ratings? Sure. You first. I mean, I can't give it five stars because you're right. There are problematic aspects. Uh, Amy, forgive me. I probably did everything wrong and I've probably scarred my children for life. But honestly, let's just add it to the list. I'm going to give it 4.5. Okay. I'm going to give it a three and a half. (laughs) Honestly, I feel like it could have gone worse. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. And thank you again to Amy Patton for talking with us during our screen time in the news segment. And thanks for all of your strategies for watching older movies with kids. Amy, if you're listening, I think you should come back on to critique our performance in (laughs) using your strategies with our kids. (laughs) Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice, you can check out our website at myscreentime2.com. Find us on all the social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, even on Gmail at myscreentime2. You can send us your show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our theme music was composed and performed by me and my adorable children. And our podcast is produced by Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents.